want to take our Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 2. Read all 15 verses of Titus chapter 2, focusing on verse 14 for our instruction in good works, particularly in our calling to be zealous for good works. Hear the word of God, Titus chapter 2. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they, may, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Thus far we read the word of God and we would focus on that last clause of Chapter 2, verse 14, zealous for good works. We are purified to be God's own special people, zealous for good works. Good works, beloved. This is the instruction we would receive in the uh, doctrine, the Christian doctrine, as we regularly go through the Christian doctrine, the aid of the Heidelberg Catechism. And Catechism at question 91, ask the question, what are good works? And only those is the answer that proceed from a true faith, are performed according to the law of God and to his glory, and not such as are founded on our imaginations or the institutions of men. Good works, beloved. This is the subject for our uh, teaching tonight, for our exhorting tonight that we be zealous in good works. And this is a good thing for us because we love good works, because we love the good work of God for us and in us to save us. And the way we show our thanks is by a life of good works. In fact, the entire catechism and its instruction, the rest of the catechism to Lord's Day 52, is on living the life of good works according to the law of God and in particular as a praying people. And so this is a sweet subject to us. We ought to be eager to hear the call, especially from heaven, to our earth. You, be zealous 
and good works. You, God's special people, and your servant, God's chosen servant, be zealous for good works. And we need to understand that this is a, an urgent and a timely call for us at this time when everybody and his brother and his transgender sister or whatever it is, is telling us what is good and what are good works. We live in an age, in fact, when people and society and even churches are calling evil good, as the prophet says, and good evil. They're switching everything around. And so to be grounded in the word of God, which alone is the standard for good works, is a blessed thing. And it's a good thing so that families can raise their children to teach what is good, who is the good God, and what are we doing on this earth. And so a very practical sermon here, very practical subject, and dear to our hearts, and dear also so that we might be zealous, not be discouraged by all the people who are flipping everything around and even persecuting the church for its good, calling it evil. So may God bless us as we consider the subject of good works and the application that we might be zealous for good works. I want to consider, first of all, what those good works are. Secondly, what it is to be zealous for them. And finally, the result of our being zealous for good works. The Bible is full of the calling and the description of good works. The Old Testament is replete. Israel was formed for the praise of God. The New Testament is just as full, even fuller, and articulates what the good work of God is for which we are to show forth his praise in our own good works because it's the revelation, is the New Testament of Jesus Christ. So at every point we can be saying, well, we're doing good works because Jesus Christ is our Savior and he's the good work of God. Matthew 5, Jesus himself says, you're the light of the world, that you may show forth and shine your good works that others may glorify God in heaven. That's the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' own words. In the book of Hebrews, we read of the church that's brought nigh to God. And that church is called to draw near to God, not only, but to consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's Hebrews 10, 24. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. But now let's just stick with Titus. Seems to me that Paul wrote Titus and was inspired by the Spirit to write Titus, especially for the promotion of good works among those uh, with whom Titus, who was a son in the common faith, who labored on behalf of the apostolic ministry. Paul writes to to Titus that there be good works in the congregation where Titus is. So, for example, and I'll go through the book, Titus 1, Paul introduces himself, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. Just stop right there. Truth, which accords with a life, a lifestyle, a godly lifestyle. There may be no truth, Titus, Paul says, unless there's a life that follows it. 
And it must be truth such that it sticks with the people. Otherwise, they are truthless still if they haven't gotten it and show forth uh, the reflection of that truth in their godly life. And then in verse 16 of chapter 1, the apostle warns about those who profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So there he is pressing that point again negatively. But then chapter 2, really the whole chapter, is about the practical application of truth in the good works of every sphere of life. So the introductory verse of chapter 2, as we read, as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That goes back to chapter 1, verse 1, the, uh, the truth that accords with godliness. Things which are proper for sound doctrine is what Titus should speak. And so that is the truth that shows itself in a life that accompanies the doctrine that we speak in the church. And then after that, all the women and all the men of the church are exhorted to these good works in different applications of their lives and seasons of life. So the old men are to be sober and reverent and temperate, sound in faith and love and patience. And then there's a word for older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior and not slanderers and so on. And then the young men, they're given their shot. That is, they're, they're given this word to, to, to hear that they should be exhorted to be sober-minded in all things, showing themselves to be a pattern of good works in doctrine showing integrity, in reverence and incorruptibility, in sound speech that cannot be condemned. And now, just as an aside, how important it is for the young men to take this to heart because they are the future of the church and the leadership of the church, that they be sound in doctrine, sound in life, and be bold to be men of God, whether they're single or whether they're married, maybe newlyweds, so that they can be leaders in the home. So there's a word for them, and it's about good works. And then you have bond servants, even. Slaves, they are to show the good work, not of rebelling, but of being obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things. Not commenting here on the legitimacy of slavery or not, but it was a fact back then. And they should not answer back. They shouldn't steal. They should sow faithfulness to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things, Paul says. Again, truth and good works going together. And then we're reminded of the great impetus we have, the grace of God that's appeared to all men, not just old and young and, and, and Caucasian or black or brown or yellow or red, but all men. The grace of God is, has appeared and it's showing itself to be a saving grace and teaching those ones who are saved to deny bad works and ungodliness and to do good works. For example, in, in, in fact, our text even says, Jesus gave himself that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. Now, I want to go on because chapter 3 even says more about this. We are in chapter 3, verse 1, to remind them that is, those under authority, to be subject to, to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. That is, for all of us in a nation, we are to be ready to show ourselves 
good-working, God-glorifying citizens. Here's how. To speak evil of no one, not even the governor or the president, no matter how godless they may be. Speak evil of no one. Now, that's pretty much covers everyone. Speak evil of no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Now, how that works out and what that looks like in our conversation is worthy of another conversation, but we need to take that in mind. Here's good works applying to all of life, the home, our personal lives, the workplace. If you're a slave, if you're under authorities, we are all called to do these good works. And the result, of course, is because of God. Uh, This is the result of God's own work for us. We've seen that in our in our sermons on the necessity of good works. Why do we do good works? Well, the answer is, on the one hand, because it's impossible we don't, because God has done a good work for us and in us, and his good work is what is being accomplished as we do good works. Just think of Ephesians chapter 2. We're saved by grace. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We're saved by grace through faith alone. And we are saved unto good works, for we are his workmanship. We are God's own handiwork. And so here, uh, Paul reminds Titus, redemption through Jesus Christ, the purchase that he made of us, he bought us back from sin, was so that we might not sin ourselves. Predestination, the predestination of God, was not God's choosing and we being chosen so that we might be frozen and not at all active in our Christian faith. We are chosen before the foundation of the world, Paul says in Ephesians 1, that we might be holy without blame before him, walking in love and so on. Ephesians 4, verse 1. And we are this peculiar people. Yes, we are odd. That is, we're not of this world. We are aliens and strangers in this world that we might show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous life. How? By good works. Ephesians or 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. And so why do we do good works? What is this calling? Why is the New Testament replete, full of all of these mentions of good works and callings to good works, and why are the Ephesians warned lest they lose their first love and, and their works to follow them, that they're, they're no longer a good-working church? Why? Because of God. We are here for the glory of God, dearly beloved. God is the good God, and we show good works because we would praise him. Oh, so very important to show off the glory of God. And that leads to the requirements of the good works. Catechism mentions three. I wonder if you can mention any more. Think about it. There's only three listed here. I think they cover it. They imply certainly every other um, characteristic of a good work you might think ought to be there. But the catechism reminds us that good works are only those that proceed from faith. From faith. That is, from this bond you have with Jesus, and then from this active trusting in him, and you're acting upon the knowledge that you have that this Bible applies to you and salvation is yours. Good works have to be motivated by that faith, conscious 
we have to be, that we are Christ's. That keeps us from all kinds of self-righteousness and all kinds of willy-nilly doing whatever we want, but we're attached to Jesus. And so that people know if your good work, you think, is going to the bar on Friday night and having uh, downing a couple with the guys after work, if you're doing that, and if you're doing that by faith, remember, you're connected with Jesus. And he is the one who is the author of the good work in you. If this is a good work, you're going to the bar. I'm not commenting on that once or uh, at all. But remember that. That's the importance of this. Without faith, after all, it's impossible to please God. You ever have that? I have. Faithless works. Hasty words. Attitudes you show that, that lead you down a wrong path. And it's all because you've left Jesus. You said, Jesus, you stay here. I'll, I'll meet you in church Sunday, but now I'm on my own because... Well, this I've figured out for myself. And I know you don't want to be bothered with all this stuff. And so we're not acting in faith. We lose the connection. Husbands and wives lose the connection with Jesus if they don't make decisions uh, by faith together in light of the word of God. And again, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You may have all the good works in the world without faith. They're not really good works. And they're certainly not pleasing to God. Well, then, according to the law of God, the Bible says, and also the catechism, faithful to the, the Bible, reminds us. The truth sets us free. By the truth, we are sanctified. The word of God, the law of God is mentioned here. And we know that to be love, love God. So believe in God and love God. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. That flows from your loving of God. Are we doing that? Our works have to be characterized by our being lawful. We are redeemed from lawlessness, the text says. He gave himself that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself for himself, his own special people, created unto, or uh, zealous for good works. So, according to the law of God, the standard. And, beloved, that hasn't changed in the thousands of years we've had the Bible, the law of God. Nor has it changed since God created the world, because he made all of his rational, moral people with a law written in their hearts. People know whether they have the Bible or not, what it is that God requires. They know there's a God. They can see in the stars the glory of God who created them, something, someone beyond the stars. And it's not the force. It's the triune God. The God of heaven and earth has made all things, and especially his rational moral creatures, even the fallen ones, that they might praise him. And we in our sin are to repent, therefore, of our lawlessness and our ungodly deeds. Otherwise, the wrath of God abides on us. And it abides on you, even if you adorn this place with your presence in church tonight. Are you lawless or lawful? Or sometimes a Ten Commandment person, at other times a Nine Commandment person. Sometimes because you have a trouble with the Fifth Commandment, which has to do with authority, well, you just ignore that. Or the sixth commandment, you just let it rip 
and say what's on your mind because you feel better after that, even though you're murdering people with your language. Beloved, according to the law of God and from faith, good works must be, and then to the glory of God that follows. If we would truly do good works, we must do them for the glory and the honor of the good God. He's good after all. He's great and greatly to be praised. He deserves our obedience. And he deserves our thanks for saving us to be zealous for him. And that's what I want us to think about in this next point. We are called to be zealous for good works as a special people redeemed by Jesus. Zealous for good works. The word describes a fanatic, describes someone hot, burning, and so on fire for the glory of God here in this context that it consumes them. That's what Jesus said. It was said of Jesus in the Old Testament, and it was true of him when he came to this, to this earth. The zeal of the Lord of hosts and for his house consumed him. He was so given up uh, into the renewing of Judery, Jewry and for the honor of God in his house and his fellowship with his people that he was driven even to the cross, compelled with a zeal for the glory of his Father and to do the will of the Father, that he was burned up in the process, no, crucified in the process, and endured the wrath of God for our sins. This is what we must have, this kind of zeal. Nothing less or different. Biblical zeal, fervent zeal, fire, on fire for God. That's what they were at the time of the Reformation. And they literally burned at the stake because of it, because of their hotness for God. They weren't cold. They weren't lukewarm. They were on fire. And the Roman Catholics couldn't stand John Calvin. He was so full of God, they said, he's God intoxicated. And I say, beloved, that's the kind of inebriation that's acceptable, to be God intoxicated. Zealous. Well, beloved, that's the calling, but there's much nowadays to hinder us in being zealous. For example, there's all kinds of zeals. There's all kinds of zealots and fanatics, aren't there? And that can maybe give us to question our zeal if we're joining with them in zeal. Should we even be that zealous? We shouldn't be so fanatic. Nobody likes a fanatic, do they? Well, there were fanatics in Paul's day. They were the Jews, the hyperventilating Pharisees, who in their zeal, they would traverse the whole continent, the universe that they could, to make a proselyte, a convert. The Jews were so into the law of God, they thought, though they missed Jesus, they missed the fulfillment of the law in Jesus. They missed the cross. They missed the Messiah. In fact, they rejected him, but they had a zeal. And Paul bore them record. They had a zeal. But Romans 10 tells us they had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. And they went about to establish their own righteousness. Remember that? 
The whole gist of Romans is that there's a righteousness only of God and that alone which justifies through faith in Jesus Christ. Any other righteousness, any other good work that passes off as righteousness and something that's going to earn you heaven, no good. It will never do. Because God has said, my righteousness I reveal in my son. And I establish righteousness through his work through his death on the cross, in that you must trust and not in your own righteousness and your good works that merit something you think with God. Oh, beloved, there's other people who are so zealous um, to expunge this world of the good works of God. There are those who are calling evil good and good evil. Referring to a passage back in Isaiah in chapter 5 and verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Uh, The prophet's talking to Judah here. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. They switch them. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Even in the church of Christ then, the Old Testament church, the Jews... There was this missing what is good so so much, they they missed it by a country mile. In fact, they were substituting for what is good, evil. They said, that's evil. And when there was evil, they were saying, that's good. They were using it as an occasion for their debauchery, their drunkenness, such as the context in Isaiah 5, or their coveting lands and grabbing up land for themselves and in other ways showing themselves to be just like the heathen whose ways they have learned. This is exactly what we see today. People are calling good evil and evil good, evil good, good evil. They have it all backwards. The new good is tolerance. Tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. That's the good. Instead of that evil, which is righteousness, righteous good, they substitute a loving tolerance in the place of what's righteous and lawful in the sight of God. It's tolerance. Anything goes. Anything goes. And that's exactly because they actually think there is no such thing as Trinity. There is no such thing as one good, one God. They've left God and his standard, his word. This is the world we live in and our young people live in. And we can be afraid of this. We can, can't we? What are we uh, raising kids today for except to throw them to the lions, it seems? They're in the midst of this apostate generation. Is there any, anyone that sees anything anymore? I know I'm afraid. As a parent, now as a grandparent. But I want to rebuke myself at this point and say, don't be afraid. It's an opportunity. It really is. For such a time as this, when people are mixing up the very fundamentals of morality, they're calling good evil and evil good, we have the opportunity to say, thus saith the Lord, the word of God, the standard is what God says is good. And so... We will not tolerate 
the LGBTQABCD, whatever it is movement, because God says male and female. And this was in the beginning. It still will abide until all eternity. And there will be no transgenderism in hell, I assure you. There is no room for tolerance for such as these kinds of things. And I may be speaking harshly here. Well, it may sound harsh to people who just haven't heard this for a long time. That there is one standard of morality. There is one way of looking at things. For example, God. The truth of God. The fount of all good works is good theology. Well, here's where people are messing it up big time. We've heard, as we've been on vacation from time to time, sermons in which the minister, happened to be one, one sermon as well, uh, in which the minister suggested, no, even said, that God changes. Imagine that, beloved. Imagine that one who is trying to be uh, cute, I think, and theologically astute according to the latest fad from seminary, saying that God changes. You say that God changes, and you say that that's good that God changes, and you have changed the true God in your mind and in the people's minds, if, they, if, if the devil would work in them, the truth of God into the devil. Imagine that God changes so that he changes in his love. Today he loves you, tomorrow he doesn't. We end up having a God who's, who makes us pick the daisies and say he loves me, he loves me not, and he loves me and he loves me not, as the people do who are in love. Falling in love, fallen in love. Oh, beloved, to have a changeable God is to have changed God all right into an idol because the gods change. They are not gods and there's nothing to be God about because they're not God, they're living, they're, they're dead and not living, but God is God. The whole premise of morality is that God is God and he never changes and his word never changes. And so the, the, the interpretation of the word is so invaluable to the people of God, the right interpretation of that. When people tell us that there's, the Bible's full of holes, and that, as we saw this morning, the imprecatory psalms, they don't apply to today. They represent a bad spirit. Even the Holy Spirit, the unholy spirit, who would inspire imprecatory psalms and people of God calling down curses upon the enemies of God. Now, what kind of nonsense is this except the scurrilous business of Satan himself? Leave the people without a Bible or leave it to the modern interpreters who interpret everything through the grid, the lens of their love, love, love. you got to find love here and root out of your thinking holiness, holiness, holiness. It's as if Isaiah saw in the great throne room vision the thrice-loving God. Love, love, love is the Lord. Well, he is. Holy love, holy love. Holy love. Are you getting this, beloved? This is just a couple of ways in which the, the world is calling what is good evil and what is evil good, They're mixing it all up. All about tolerance and license in theological um, realms, but also in realms of morality, 
And so they'll say that mere generosity is good. Mere generosity of the wicked is good. Well, the Bible says the tender mercies of the wicked is cruel, like the tender mercies of the government that gives no, um, no responsibility to the people, just hands out stuff and promotes a bad lifestyle and children out of wedlock and so on. It's all messed up, beloved, from the top down, the, the bottom up, and sideways, left and right. It's all backwards. We live in this world, a zeal without knowledge, a zeal for earning salvation, a zeal for another kind of morality altogether when evil is called good and good evil. There's a zeal also, I've heard recently, spouting up again for the charismata, lest we get bored with simply being zealous for good works and repenting and doing the hard things of saying, I'm sorry. Well, there's always speaking in tongues that we can do that. Look, I learned how to speak in tongues. There's classes for how to speak in tongues. And we can heal people. And ministers can get a great following and heal people who roll up the aisle in their wheelchair and then they say, abracadabra, something devilish like that, and they're healed. To which we say, they might be, but who's doing the healing? Or we say, you're dead wrong because it's unbiblical. The charismata were for the early apostolic church, for the founding of the church. I won't get into that anymore, but it's biblical to say that the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues and healing and so on, were for that formative age of the church. The apostles and their signs are now longer, no longer needed. We have the entire New Testament. Beautiful. And now, instead of the gifts of the Spirit, we don't seek them, but we seek to have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, and so on, against which there is no long. These are the kinds of attitudes behind the good works that we're seeking to have, and we have a zeal for these kinds of stuff. And, and, and so it's so important, beloved. The fact is, we can be cool in our religion, can we? And I confess to this, we can be distracted by one internet site after another, one project after another that might be good, might be good. And we might just lose ourselves in doing our chores and don't have to talk to the wife or to the husband. And we can do this and that and the other thing, we've got to do it, honey, instead of sitting down and chatting over a cup of tea and something that's worth everything. It's called the love of Christ. So we substitute for really good works, our own kind of good works. But our kind of good works are only kind of good works. God wants our excellence to be for the highest. He wants our devotion to be truly on fire for him. And even if it means a cross, and even if it means we put down the paper and we talk to the kids, and even if it means this and this and the other thing, they can go, and now the first thing is, you do this. We have this problem. And I told the old people today, well, it's not you. 
some of you. But at the rest home, I said, I feel you're tired, aren't you? You're tired. You're just worn out. I am too. And besides that, we can get beat around. We do good works. And people don't like it. And behind the evil's good and good's evil movement is a great big man-pleasing movement. Why are evangelicals changing good into evil and evil into good and tolerating all kinds of shenanigans and stuff that probably wouldn't even be tolerated in hell? Why? Because they shift in order to be pleasing to more people. The young people aren't pleased by a long sermon or just something that's no fluff. Let's change this a little bit. Get with the times. I'm not talking about being irrelevant, but they want to be exciting. You have to be careful about this. We can be tired because we're not men-pleasers by the grace of God. We love Jesus. We love to please God. See, good works are for God-pleasers, not men-pleasers. And the Bible is the standard and not the institutions of men. That's a reference to the church, by the way. The catechism refers to that. Nor to the imaginations of people like you and like, like I. I'm a great imaginer. Some of us are so unfamiliar with zeal that you'd almost question the Christianity of a person like that. So unfamiliar with zeal for Christ. It can be you've been hurt. It can be you've been hurt so much and you think that you're a victim of your own circumstances and your own hurt, your own past. So you kind of curl up. You don't want to reach out and do good works because then it shows that you can, you can handle life and you don't need all the help that people can give. You just need the help of God. And, and that's a scary thing, you know, when you mature and you grow because then you're saying, it's, it's me and Jesus, and I don't need a crutch anymore, and, and I'm doing good works, I'm giving, and I'm not in the business simply of receiving things. Good works is for those who've understood personally the goodness of God, the goodness of God to me. And you, you say that to you. He's good to me. And that, beloved, is the first thing I'd, Remind us of when we would stir one another up to good works and be zealous to good works. We can be hindered on every side and inside too. There's this dullness about us. About us. The first thing is remember God and that he's good. That's the first thing. And that he's yours. He's yours. He's that good to be yours. He's that good to be mine at all times. And that his providence is good. 
That is his care for you through the ups and downs of life, in your loneliness, and when you've had wrong company, bad company, and it's corrupted your manners and worse. God's been good. God's been good to add to you and to add to our church and also sometimes to take away. He's good at math. He adds and he's good. He subtracts and he's good. He divides. He conquers. He's good. And that is the first thing to remember about your religion of good works for the good God's sake who loves you, whose providence is good to you, who works all things together for good to those who love God, serve him and be thankful. And then, of course, his providing Jesus. He's the good God of Jesus. He's your Savior God in Jesus. That's the best thing that could ever happen to anybody. The greatest gift in the world, Jesus Christ. The commendation of the goodness of God. Redeemed we are by him, by his blood. He gave himself for us, the text says. And then, back in the context, he gives grace that teaches uh, us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age. And not only has he come once, he's come again. He's coming again. And we look for the blessed hope of the appearing of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. But you know how good God is to you in Jesus? He's forgiven all your sins. And now as you say, Lord, I am a sinner, he receives you again and again and again. And if you have no good works, you think you have no good works, nothing, and you've just been a clod all your life, or part of your life, or this section of your life, you've backslidden for a long time. Remember this, beloved. It is not about sacrifice, first of all, outwardly, but it's the sacrifices of God, which he does not despise, which are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Everybody misses that good work. When you're broken, bring your broken self to God. That's the offering. When your body's broken and you're mangled by sin and you've messed up again, come to God. Is the God who cleans up our messes and redeems us from every sin. And then when we're all healed, he says, now you go and sin no more. I love you, I love you. I love you. Well, what's the result of all this, beloved? The result of the good works is difficult. Again, we're not man-pleaser. We go with the flow, then good changes to evil today, and evil changes to good tomorrow. And what we said was good today as a church is bad tomorrow. What we said was evil is okay because we have the prospect of having a whole community of sinners come in and they come like they are, we just change the standard a little bit. Maybe we can kind of teach them a little bit and then lead them in and, and then you know what happens with that. The church just accommodates until she is church no more. It's difficult because we don't want to do that. We don't want to please men. Good works to be seen of men? No. But we get persecuted for this. And the devil works hard. And the hardest 
where the truth is fought for the hardest. It's true. Lay down. Put off your armor. And the devil will leave you alone, except to seduce you into further sin. Fight the good fight of faith. Watch out. The devil is going to come gunning for you. Ganging up on you. And you can hardly know which way to turn except to God. So it's difficult, but it's blessed. Better that, beloved, than having an easy, man-pleasing way and being cursed. In Isaiah, the, the prophet says, Woe is them who call evil good and good evil. Woe, curses from heaven upon them who dare to say that God, what God said is not good and what man says is good. Cursed are they. Cursed are those churches, churches and going to hell very quickly and irresistibly unless they repent of that wicked course. So, beloved, let us hold fast the course. Let us be zealous for good works. Let us not do anything but press on in the face of opposition. The good work of parenting, the good work of being a good husband and a good wife, the good work of being a good elder and a good deacon and a good minister. Good sermons are what we want. Good theology from you, pastor. So get with it. Be zealous. Be on your knees for us and with regard to your work because we need the word of God. We need the doctrines of grace. We need the theology that God is God. And we need each other to stir one another up to good works. So let's pray for each other. Shall we? And let's encourage one another any way we can because God's glory is something we're seeking, aren't we? We're seeking his glory. Praise God. Let's praise God by our good works. A whole life of thanks. Amen. We pray, Father, that you would bless us and keep us, make your face to shine upon us so that we can know your presence and peace and go forth and do good works. Hear us and heal us of our iniquities, our bad works, and our lackluster attitudes, and give us zeal for the good works you have ordained for us to do. Give us, Lord, to give you all the glory. There's no credit we take whatsoever for any of the good that comes from us. We give you praise, for you are the God who is for us and in us, sanctifying us. And for your sanctifying spirit, we do pray as we part from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.